My name is Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. You're listening to the Root and STEM podcast, a podcast exploring issues and stories in STEAM education. In this episode, we explore STEM learning and education in modern communication avenues. Yeah, I remember at the start of developing the show, we were trying to decide, okay, who's our audience? Do we want an adult audience? Do we want it to be all ages? And I'm really glad we decided to do all ages because, yeah, I, I love that kids can listen to the show and families can listen to the show. Um, as fun it is, it is to make like, you know, crack jokes that maybe only adults will get. It is, when I think back on when I was a kid, like the media I consumed was so important and has stayed with me to this day. So if I can influence young people or kids, that's so important because, you know, you never know. They could end up being conservation biologists too one day. And I, I, that's extremely rewarding to know. Or even if they don't become biologists one day, if they can carry some knowledge of, yeah, of conservation and relate to the environment in a positive way, then that is a success as well. We've thought a lot about how the podcast is consumed by kids, but we really don't, we don't dumb down the information at all for kids. And I think that that's really important because when you're actually around kids who are into science, like they are, they know way more about it than I do. Like they don't (laughs) want you to be sort of like explaining it like you're five to them. They want to consume it at like basically an adult level. Like I think about my little nephew who, when he was like four, was so into dinosaurs and I would sit there with him with all his toys and he knew all the species of dinosaurs and it was blowing my mind. And I think that that's so important to like not talk down to kids about science because when you sort of approach them about it in like a very, in a way where they're not they're not dumb. Like they know they, they're excited about it and they can be as excited as adults are and are usually more excited and can know more. And so I think, I hope that that's part of what appeals to kids about our podcast is it's, it's not, it's not directly for kids and it's not talking down to them. And I think Olivia is really good at that where it's, it's really engaging and fun, but you're still going to hear the scientific names of things. You're going to hear about like pretty complex processes and you're going to hear words like taxonomy and that kind of thing and uh and she'll explain it but I really like that about the our podcast and I I think even if we made something that was more directed towards kids we would still keep that feeling for sure something I've taken from my in-person interpretation is don't underestimate a kid's knowledge and don't overestimate an adult's knowledge so you have to find a happy vet balance of defining any jargon you're ever going to use And sometimes, like, I always will remember this one time I was running camp at the zoo and the kids were a little bit older. They were like around eight. And I just used the word illegal because we were talking about poaching. And I said, poaching is illegal hunting. And they were like, what does illegal mean? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I have to define, like, they'll understand the word poaching before they understood the word illegal, which was kind of interesting. So just as long as you're you're trying to bring them along in a story and give them context. They can usually use those clues to fill in any words they might not know. But a really great tip that I actually like heard on an episode of Ologies with Bill Nye is he said, like, try and put a definition before you use the difficult word. And I think that's a really good tip because once you hear a challenging word, it can sort of like 
put a pause in that moment of understanding and you have to sort of process that and maybe you stop listening for a bit and you don't hear the definition. So I've been really trying to, yeah, put that definition before the word so that you can keep your audience along with you. So I try not to think about, okay, I'm trying to make this for kids or adults. I'm trying to be like, okay, could most people understand what I'm saying? And that is our goal, I guess, for for the show. It's hard with podcasting in general too. Like this is a skill that I think you really have to learn if you want to work in the audio medium, um, especially radio. I mean, at least with podcasts, you can rewind if you if you didn't understand something. It's not it's not a book where the person can like flip back to to review it or you know they're probably not going to take the time if they're driving or something they're not going to like Google what you said. There there are definitely certain tricks for writing for audio that are different than what I would write if I was writing for an article or something, which is, it's like an interesting and different medium. I think Olivia is really good at that as well. And having it be complex while still being able to be understood in the audio medium is sort of a hard balance to strike. Something that's been brand new that I've been trying to learn is TikTok. And TikTok as an education tool. And we're seeing social media change how education is working every like few years, it seems. Um, And so it's really important to keep up with where the audience is. If our goal is for education to have an impact on the broader public, you have to seek out your audience and meet them wherever they are. I suppose like when I watch educational TikToks, there are times where I can see people using the medium really well and responsibly and times where you see people kind of exploiting the ability to be very clickbaity, to kind of tell half truths. And so I think it's really important that people who care a lot about accurate science communication to be in these areas like TikTok because you know, they're able to create good quality content that is true or at least accurate enough to what we currently know. And if we aren't in those spaces, then the only people who are in those spaces are people who maybe aren't using the power of the social media platform responsibly. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I'm just thinking about how much sort of access we have now to science communicators in a way that I think we didn't when even Olivia and I were growing up. Like if you think about people like Bill Nye or something, like they're they're on your TV, but you're probably never going to interact with them. Like there's no way to kind of comment on what they're doing and have them respond or or anything like that. Um, and they're kind of in their bubble. Whereas I think that's something that is very interesting about what's going on right now with science communication, where it's like, you know, if you're on science communication, TikTok, you're seeing all these conversations that scientists are having with each other and and on Twitter too, like science Twitter is a huge thing that we're kind of a, a part of, but you have sort of huge science communicators like, uh, like Hank Green interacting with kind of smaller people and in the industry and like indie people. And yeah, I mean, Hank Green is maybe a good example of someone who's like constantly on TikTok dispelling disinformation about science and in some ways like podcasting itself is a great communication tool because it's so unregulated in any way like 
starting a podcast, you can just do it. And that's a good thing and a bad thing in, in so many ways. You can you can host your podcast for free on like SoundCloud or Anchor and and just start and record on your phone. And like the accessibility of that is amazing because there are no gatekeepers in that way. And in TikTok too, like you see people blow up kind of on the merit of their content. It's amazing, but it also is, I think, very dangerous <laughs> for science as well. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how things shake out. But even like my little cousin, like I mentioned before, I was watching him watch YouTube compilations of TikToks about animals. That's what he's really into. And it'll be like 10 biggest sharks ever recorded or something. And then it's just random TikToks of people like seeing a shark and just some sort of guy narrating over top of it. And it's the worst content ever. Like it's not regulated or fact checked in any way, but he's consuming so much of it. And that's kind of what he's seeing about science, which is concerning to me. I guess we're trying to like counteract that and balance it out, but it's hard. It's really like the wild west out there for, I think, podcasts, TikTok, uh, YouTube. It's also important to mention like not everything we put out there is sometimes we find errors. Sometimes I record a podcast with Sophia and I go, oh my gosh, I made a huge mistake. I have to go back and fix it. Or sometimes I'll post a TikTok and because it's very short, I have to sort of oversimplify some things. So there are moments where we have people comment who are like, hey, just so you know, there was a small error in what you said. This is what it was. So I think also uh, the way we should always be approaching social media is like with humility, with understanding that we don't know everything and being willing to at the minimum respond to that comment and say, you're absolutely right. I also double checked what you said and you're, you're right. Or pinning that comment or removing the video if it's a significant enough issue. So taking the responsibility as a communicator to admit when we've made a mistake or made an inaccuracy or yeah, oversimplified something. I think that's also important in our approach into the future, adapting to different technologies as they emerge. I think that's a really good one because I think people really undermine their own ability to understand the world around them and communicate that back. I think for me, it was really helpful working at the school paper because it wasn't my own ideas. It was helping to interpret the ideas of experts in the field. And I really loved doing that because you were able to sort of think about what they're saying, be be able to ask questions about it and then put that out there and develop that skill of communicating um, and gain a little bit of confidence in your own ability to do research and to fact check and uh, ultimately to get to a point where you can share information yourself. Um, so at least that was helpful for me. I'm sure there's many other approaches to that, but yeah, just learning how to do good research and practicing, even if you're not necessarily putting something out there yet, just maybe have a blog or something where you practice uh, researching and writing something up because sometimes, yeah, like Sophia said, when I look back on our first episode, I'm like, ooh, there are some things I would definitely change about that. But yeah, if you're if you're really worried about not having the right skills, just just start. Just just try anything really. Um, and especially when you're young. 
it's not like you're going to get to a hankering level immediately. You're not going to be swaying millions of people. So just try something and eventually you'll get better at it. I think Olivia is right too in that one of my favorite things about being a journalist and interviewing people or even doing research is just being the stupidest person <laughs> in the room. Like I, I love to... I kind of love my role on Beyond Blathers because I'm the person who's like, wait, is a wasp a bee? Or like, is, you know, is an eel a fish? Like, I don't know. Kind of, it's just, it's, you can be that person as a science communicator and still, like, you can sort of be the conduit for the audience. If your background isn't in science, like if you don't have a master's or a PhD in a scientific field, which is how I feel, um, like we actually had, Emily Grasley on our podcast, which is still our biggest episode ever. And she's she, the host of the Brain Scoop on YouTube. Yes. And just such an amazing science communicator. And she doesn't have a, a science degree. She has an art degree, but she's just very passionate about science. And I remember talking to her, you know, about my own insecurities about kind of going into science communication because I'm I'm a writer and I and I have an English and philosophy degree and I didn't I didn't feel qualified to kind of be in this space with all of these scientists. And she was sort of so supportive of my right to kind of to be here and what I could bring. And maybe it's different, you know, yeah, if you ask me about like a specific beetle or something, I'm not I'm not an expert on that or or really anything specific. But through working at the student paper, working as a journalist and stuff, like I, I've gotten good at asking questions and you'll you'll realize working with scientists that a lot of them can't communicate their own work effectively but they're doing amazing work and you can help share that if you have those skills so i would say don't feel discouraged if you if you're coming at science communication not from like being a scientist because i think that's actually very important even if you're an artist like you know olivia does amazing paleo art there are others who do yeah this this art that it brings to life animals from the past that's just so beautiful and striking and and so there's so many ways to i think engage with science communication don't don't feel like excluded from it because you don't have a science degree is really i think the most important thing that i would say and and like olivia said i think just doing it like we we've done it every week for 2 years now and have improved so much and yeah, like maybe if you're if you're an artist, try drawing a different animal once a week for for like a year and see what happens or try writing some articles or, you know, reading a different science communication book every month or something like that. Like you will improve. When I look at the people around me in the university, the ones who whose research is heard are the people who are good presenters, who um you know, have some ability to communicate. And I think there's, yeah, like Sophie said, there's so many ways to be a science communicator and think about what brings you joy to do, what you're good at, which are often very similar and use that. Like if you're, if you have a skill, don't, don't think that that skill can't fit in this field. And yeah, I think just the, the best thing to do is try and get out of your own way and just try things out because that's the only way you're going to get better and like you'll make mistakes and again like I said approach mistakes with humility and learn from them 
Um, but ultimately everyone, every, even like the top PhD scientist is saying stuff that isn't accurate. Sometimes it just happens. There's a lot to know out there and you're not going to know everything. The other thing I think is super helpful, um, is talking to people. So not just reading books, not just reading articles, but talking to people in different fields. And I think that's something that was helpful with the journalism stuff when you're interviewing people. For example, at the start of the pandemic, I was doing, they were like these online nights where a bunch of dinosaur people would get together and they'd talk, they'd joke around and have like drinks and just talk about dinosaurs. And when I was at one of these like hangouts, they were talking about Spinosaurus and there was this new discovery about the Spinosaurus tail. It looks kind of webbed. Uh, no, that's not the right word. It was like paddle shaped. And so this new paper was claiming that Spinosaurus was either fully or semi-aquatic. And I read this piece and I was like, that's amazing. It's in National Geographic. It must be true. I go to this meeting and they were ripping it apart. But like in that subtle way that you would only have detected if you were physically talking to these people where they were like, oh, yeah, fully aquatic Spinosaurus. Ha ha. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's some drama there. So there are times where talking to people, you get the minute controversies or interesting bits of information that are well known in the community, but may not be like published. So yeah, if I think that gives me a lot of confidence too when I'm able to go, okay, well, I'm talking to people in this field and this is sort of their feeling about um, this topic or this fact. And yeah, I think that's quite valuable too. So if there are people in your community that you know who are working in a field that you think is really interesting or want to talk about, you know, in invite them to speak because that'll help a lot. You can find Beyond Blathers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for more about STEAM stories and education, check out The Root and STEM magazine at pinwa.com or more episodes of The Root and STEM podcast available to download on your streaming platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google.